Uh, welcome everyone to the official Leeds United podcast with once again just me, Matthew Lewis. Uh, we're going to start docking Bridges wages at this point. I'm sure he'll be back with us at some point, um, but not today. Uh, not today. I'm flying solo again, um, and I'm going to be having a special guest on in a moment. Um, I'm just letting you know that I am recording this Thursday morning after the nil-nil uh, draw with Hull City and that outrageous sending-off decision, which. If Bridgie was here, I'd be moaning about for the next 10 minutes, but I won't bore you with just a little monologue about how bad that was. Um, we'll get straight into it. I'm going to be joined uh, in a moment by Leeds United's Head of Medicine and Performance, Rob Price, um, which is going to be very, very insightful, I'm sure, as we get to learn all about rehab of injured players, players coming back, and maybe a famous Northern Irishman that you might want to hear about and whether he'll be joining us out on the pitch at some point soon in the future. So, uh, please welcome Leeds United's Head of Medicine and Performance, Rob Price. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. Not too bad for a late on a uh, Thursday evening. Yeah, well, we really, really appreciate you uh, you joining us. Um, obviously, you just mentioned that it's late on Thursday. We had the game at Millwall on Sunday, followed by a midweek fixture away at Hull. How's that from your perspective in terms of recovery and, and player welfare and whatnot? <laughs> it's pretty tough. Um, <laughs> you, you look at the fact that... You you know, Hull played on Friday night, so they had an extra two days recovery on us right. before the game. And and two days turnaround is the minimum that you ever really want to do. So to do it twice in a week is pretty tough for the players and, you know, also for the staff as well who put the, the work in to try and turn them um, turn them around. So we got back, got back to the training ground here probably about quarter past 12, half past uh, 12 this morning. And then we were back in the training ground again at nine this morning, just making sure that the, the players are, are ready and, um, you know, everything's set up, ready for them to go. Um, and one of the things you get when you, you have these quick turnarounds, there's lots of bumps and bruises and, you know, things that need assessing and, and dealing with and trying to give the manager enough information that he can start to make plans ready for, for Saturday because you know, there's a lot of work that they do and that the coaching staff do that they need to know who's going to be available. They need to know who's going to be recovered. And the more information we can give them at the earliest possible opportunity allows them to make make their decisions and make them with more accuracy. I, I actually, I really want to talk about that relationship between manager and yourself and then a player um, in a moment in terms of communication. I'll, I'll come on to that in, in a minute. Um, but just before we get there, what does it look like um, when you have games so close together? I mean, with regard to fitting in training, I mean, if they got back at God knows what time you got back on Monday from, from London or if you got back Sunday night, I'm not sure. Is, is there opportunity to train before Wednesday uh, I mean, you obviously got to think about recovery from your perspective. What are those like two days like between fixtures that close together? Yeah, look, we, I mean, the actual recovery starts as soon as the game finishes. So there's things that go on in the dressing room. Our nutritionists make sure that they get, um, you know, they've got products available to them immediately in the dressing room that's going to replenish some of the, the carbs, the protein, and uh, some of the electrolytes and things that they've lost in the game. We then look at getting them in the ice baths. We did some ice baths down at Millwall that our kit men uh, really take the hump because they've got to carry all the way down and enough <laughs> ice to fill them. So the recovery process starts there. So straight in the dressing room, there's things that the players are doing. But whilst the ones who played are doing that work in the dressing room, the ones who haven't played, so the subs are unused, we're doing some work with them on the pitch to try and get them to the same level. Uh, we have a real look over the week of when the players are sprinted and when they've done high speed. And we want to expose them to some of that sprint um, because it's a, it reduces injury 
believe it or not. You know, that right. if you don't sprint players in a week, if you just rest them, they're more prone to injury um, when they have to sprint in the game. So we try and make sure, you know, we've got the GPS on everyone, we've got the heart rates on everyone in the game and for this um, session out on the pitch to make sure then that when they come in on match day plus one, that they're all at a similar level, that we, you know, we don't need to be sprinting them people on Monday when we've got another game Wednesday. So we topped it all up on Sunday down at Millwall. We then got on the um, team coach to come to come back up. And again, we've got a nutritionist and a chef who provides the player straight away with a meal that again is of all the right um, amounts and things to, to make sure that their recovery is is good. And then we're really keen when the when the team gets back. You know, sleep is one of the biggest things yeah. that we can um, look at for recovery. So we try not to bring the players in too early the next morning if it's been a late one. Fortunately, Millwall was a midday kickoff yeah. so we got back up here by about eight so the players got a good night's sleep whereas last night you know some of the players probably weren't getting in bed till half one two o'clock so we delayed training today to lunchtime so that they could have um, enough sleep and we monitor that sleep we actually provided all the players with aura rings but I know a lot of them would use whoop bands and they use all these other metrics of of sleep and it's something wow. that we try and monitor to make sure that they are getting enough and that's not to say you know it's not going to be Matt, you didn't sleep enough last night. You know what you're doing. It's trying to educate them that sleep's really important and how we can help them. You know, what's their uh, sleep hygiene like? What time do they go to sleep? We talk to them about blue light. We talk to them about wow. not having the TVs on at different times, etc. And that's not just this week. That's every week in trying to make sure that the team are recovered and and ready to go again. Uh, well, I, I suppose I should ask that question about communication now, really, because. Obviously, everyone's different, um, but there is a pressure in a squad um, when you've potentially got new signings breathing down your neck um, that, that are trying to get into that starting eleven, and and maybe there's some players pick up a knock. There's some players try to hide that, and it's your job to try and get that out of them, or you know, so that you can communicate that to the manager. Uh, do some players want to rush back from injury um, so they can try and get their place in that team? Like, is it difficult uh, navigating that side of it and trying to make sure everyone is as honest and upfront with their the, the condition of their bodies as possible yeah look I mean everything you've just said there is true obviously players want to play every game and there's times where they'll have had a knock or they've had a kick or they, they're carrying something or they're tight and a lot of that comes down to the relationship that we have with the players that they trust us I think one of the big things is you know, I say to the players, I'm here to to help you to play. I'm not here to stop you to right. play. And sometimes that'll mean I have to take him to a scan to actually prove that the damage they've got isn't sufficient that we're going to keep them out, that it's safe to play and it's safe to continue. But a lot of that is the relationship, the soft skills of, you know, we're around the players every day. I spend mm. hours and hours and hours and my staff do where we talk to the players and we get that, that rapport. And I think they trust us that we're not going to pull anyone out and we, we're not going to tell lies. We're not going to go and say, you know, someone's injured or not injured. We, we're just truthful with what we, what we say and what we report back to the, to the manager. And, that trust goes both ways. You would, you know, you'll occasionally get a player saying, look, you know, I really don't want the, the, the coaching staff to know about this, but my hamstring, I think I might have done something. And you've got to say, look, that doesn't help the team. It doesn't right. help you. And we negotiate that before it goes any further. And, you know, I don't think there's been a situation at Leeds where we've ever had to 
undermine that relationship because the players have uh, have listened and trusted the the medical staff that what we're doing is in their best interest because our, we look after the players firstly and foremostly and then you know the the club is around that but our you know our main impact is on the players well speaking of players that you've kind of had the future of their career in your hands uh Stuart Dallas um is uh back in training um after obviously a, a horrendous freak injury um what 18 months ago or so what's that process been like i mean i've never i've never seen uh, or heard of even of a broken femur before so i mean is that something you've dealt with before <laughs> i don't think anyone's dealt with the injury that, that, that Stu had before yeah i spoke with Stu earlier today and i said look how much do you want me to mention about this because right. we've been pretty we've been pretty quiet about it you know we 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 released the basics and then we've just carried on with the rehab and i think he's got to this stage now and it's still we've got to be clear this is still a part of his rehabilitation so joining in the the training group does not mean that he's available to selection sure. does not mean that he's going to be in a squad we've still got to build up the volume of training this is the first time he's had other players around him and that's a different intensity it's a different feel you've got different perceptions going on around you so it's still a part of the process but looking back to that day and it's sort of imprinted on our mind in April 30th or whatever it was 2022 and he him and Jack Grealish just just had a clash of needs and we knew it was uh, really significant because it's the first time I'd ever see Stuart Dallas right. stay on the floor yeah. with anything. He's probably one of the toughest players we've ever come across. He actually had a uh, a fracture in his foot a, a couple of years ago and he missed two days. You know, he, he's he's that kind of player and he's got you know the ability to block out playing and carry on, which is probably right. why he did so many consecutive appearances Um under Marcelo so you know we knew it was serious we got him back in the dressing room and straight away told him look I think you fractured just around your knee um, we went off to to LGI where we got the x-rays and it was um, diagnosed so most people think Euphema is a, a long bone but what he actually did was he he knocked off the bottom of his femur on the outside so there's there's two balls at the bottom of your femur that you've seen probably seen on a skeleton sure, yeah, yeah, and he yeah. completely he completely broke one of those oh, off um, at that stage you're looking and going okay well you know what are we going to do with this now fortunately I've been in the game long enough that we got some really good contacts so we managed to get hold of um, Andy Williams who's probably the best knee surgeon in the UK or the most renowned knee surgeon in the UK with with dealing with these sort of incidents now he was actually in France with his um, with his wife and he agreed to fly back to come and see Stu and we agreed as well this wasn't just going to be Andy there was another surgeon uh, Khalid Saraf who works down there who Andy works with who's a trauma surgeon so the next day we got a private ambulance and we went down um, to London and Stu underwent surgery and it was a seven and a half hour procedure wow. which you know is really really long mm. because they spent hours and hours and hours making sure that they aligned the joint you know, as best as they they possibly could. And even at that stage then, we knew this was going to be, you know, a minimum of 12 months, yeah. could be 24 months and probably going to be around 18 months. So we get into the stage now, he's around 16 months and a, a few days and he's he's made the next step in his rehab, which is to get back in with the team and start doing part of the um 
training and there's all sorts of little you, you know it probably annoys me and it i'm sure it annoyed Stuart, although he's never said that along the the road you you read things occasionally like oh, dallas is finished yeah. or dallas is this which yeah. it just isn't isn't helpful when people don't know the the true story and you know we knew that at some stage some of the screws that were in there to hold the fracture together we'd have to take out so we went and did that um and then just after Christmas, he ended up getting an infection in the knee, which isn't uncommon after no. seven and a half hours of, of surgery. And that then just delays your time to come back a little bit. It's not a setback. It's not anything else. It's just one of the things that that happens. So we, you know, sort of January, February, March, we couldn't progress him too much and uh, move him on from there. But he's made steady, steady progress. And I've got to give... Um, a lot of credit to the staff who work really closely with him, which is Henry McStay, who's our, our senior physio, and Ru, uh, Ruben Crespo, who's our rehab fitness coach. They spend hours with Stu every day on improving really, really small things that, and all those small things add up to allow him to get back in with the team today. You know, as I said, it's still part of the process and he's still yeah. got a bit of a way to go. But it was, you know, I've never seen today that all the players who were on recovery went out and gave him a little slap on the back as he was as he was running out to train because he he's one of the biggest characters and the nicest guys within the squad that everyone respects and and loves so to see him back out on the pitch today was a was a good moment but I don't think anyone will be really content until right. He's uh he's named in one of the squads. I mean, it shows an incredible strength of character as well to come back from from something like that with the uh, with the commitment um, and and the never said die attitude. Really, I mean, injury like that could could genuinely be career ending. But it seems like he's yeah, doing he's I, going out of his way and just going from strength to strength to try and make sure he gets back playing. Yeah, I think all the players here and 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 not just Stu have an unbelievable attitude to to rehab and to doing things properly. We're lucky to be blessed with with really, really good staff. So those two I've already mentioned are, are fantastic. And we've got Daryl, Billy and Will who work with them as well and our fitness staff. Um, and what they do is, you know, they, they give a lot of time to each of the players and a lot of thought and a lot goes on behind the scenes that, that even the players don't perhaps know about to make yeah. sure that um, we get these players back. And we get... We get our statistics, we get our statistics every year. And what, what we have got here, we always have, or we've had since, since I've been here. I'm lucky enough. This is my sixth season. We have the lowest return to play times. So any injuries we do get, get back really quickly. And we've also got the lowest, uh, re-injury rates. So if they get back, generally they stay back. There's, yeah. you know, there's always going to be one or two re-injuries over the course of the season, but that's due to the, almost the tenacity, but the, the thoroughness of the, the staff looking after them, the testing that they do to make sure that they're ready to go back um, because you don't want to expose them to, to being in games before they're yeah. ready because that's when you get the re-injuries. Is there a, a large part of your job that is psychological as well? And, and I mean that in terms of obviously players being out injured and, and particularly players that re-injure themselves um, there must be a, a, and I've talked to Bridgie about this a large degree of frustration that comes with that and it might be difficult to motivate these players to come on get back from this just one more time um, but also not just that I, I, if you obviously not listen to the show, but, um, we, uh, we've had a, we had a running, uh, gag throughout the, some of the earlier shows that I, br I broke my leg playing football a couple of years ago. I haven't played since. And I, there's a weird bit with me where I'm not sure I want to 
you know, I don't, I'm not sure I want to go back into that competitive football and put myself in a situation where I might break it again. Now I'm an actor, I'm not a professional, but is there an aspect of that, that you might, there's some players that you might have to almost coax into, into, into believing in themselves again or believing in their body again, I should say. Yeah, hundred percent. I think you've taught there. um, psychology there's there's loads of stuff that we do as the the backroom staff you know that there's lots of psychology goes on with the players and that's just about performance whether that be um about how they played at the weekend but there's a lot more certainly mental health input now in the game than there was 20 years ago mm-hmm. and some of the stick that players get is is unacceptable Agreed. and the the effect on the players that the the fans and the the people outside and even people in the media don't see is what we're left to deal with and we're the ones who are around the players and see how it affects them and see the effect that has on on them, on the families and everything with it. You know, we, we send players for outside mental health support and we have mental health support within the club as well. But that's certainly becoming more and more prominent. And, the, you know, the more of social media that that's out there. And, and these are young players. You know, we've got a really, really young squad. They've been brought up on social media, so they used to being on it. So it's no point saying to them, well, don't go on it because their life is built around social media. You know, my kids, I've got kids at 21 and, and 17 and they, you know, they're on TikTok all the time and the, everything is through Snapchat, etc. So they're the same age as the players who, are, who yeah. are here. So why would we expect them to be any different? But then the abuse that they get and the the things and the bit that always amazes me is when it's abuse from our own fans. Yeah, you know, I, I just don't get what we're trying to achieve yeah. or what they're trying yeah. to achieve. What way that, do you think that that's happens. helpful? Yeah, yeah. Now the players are pretty robust and they have good support mechanisms around them. So a lot of them, their partners are really strong, their families are really strong, and they've they've been going through this for some time. But we do offer support as a as a club as well, and. If a player has had a bad game, it's never because they want to have a bad game. You know, they they're giving everything they can yeah. to try and do to do everything right. And and the thing, I think, what I'm interested in is is that whenever a player has a bad game, they don't need telling. They'll they'll be their most worst they, harshest critics. They are the the harshest critics, and they don't need telling that they've had a bad game. And you know what football's like in the in the dressing room. If someone's had a mistake in a game, they get ribbed for it. You know, <laughs> right. and the players will, will have a go. If they've had a bad game, nobody says anything to right. them. It's more, come on, you're okay. Let's do, you yeah. know, forget that one. Let's move on and go again. And the, the players um support each other and the, the staff support the the players in it. I think to have that mix right, we're seeing, you know, we've got a really good dressing room. There's a lot of the the players now are very, very supportive of each other. And, you know, have taken players like Archie under the the mm. wing, you know, that he's a he's a young kid, he's a 17-year-old kid who's playing every week at the minute in the, the championship. And He's been brilliant, but at some stage, someone's going to have a go at him. Right. But he's got that support network around him that, you know, his family are, are well-versed in it and, and everyone else. But the players, you know, really look after each other to make sure that they don't get too down. You mentioned uh, Archie Gray. Uh, how, 
what special um, sort of thought process is going with him right now? Obviously, you just said there he's 17 years old. He's played just about every minute. Is there a, a caution with him, you know, that we, we, yeah. we don't want to overplay him? Yeah, we look at, at his loads and, he, and his wellness and everything. Out. And certainly coming up to the last international break, there were signs that he was... He was being perhaps a little bit towards the edge of being overplayed, over overtrained. So we ended up having to withdraw him from the the England squad, which is something that we don't like to do. Yeah. Um, but it, it just actually it got to the stage where he wouldn't have been able to perform in that next week, whether it was our game or whether it was their game. So we we pulled him out and we put him on a a, a recovery protocol for around ten days into that international break, and he came back and has been fresh. But he, he's someone that we. I mean, we keep a close eye on all of them, so it's probably wrong to say we keep a closer eye on him, but... you know, a unique situation. One, yeah, it's just a unique situation. So we certainly look at all his training loads in more care, and, you know, you, you've got to remember, he's 17, he's still not even allowed to change in the dressing room at the, the same time <laughs> yeah. as some of the other players with a child protection policy, etc. and we've got to make sure that we have a child protection officer on our away trips, and someone goes and wow. checks his room just to make sure that no one's hiding in there wow. before, uh, before they arrive. So... Um, you know all these bits that go around it, and Archie, he just takes it all under right. his under his wing. He just he breezes along like he's done it for years. It looks like um, he does on the pitch. Yeah, he's he's so confident and and so good at what he does that you know why should anything bother you if you're uh, if you've got that ability? Right, right. Uh, well, speaking of overtraining and 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 uh, and overplaying. Um, Obviously, during the Bielsa era, that was a that was a, a criticism that was maybe leveled at, at Leeds um, quite a lot through through pundits and, and and various other media's and spectators and whatnot, and suggested that we were getting more injuries and burnout and all the rest of it. Like, what was your what was your take on on that? Obviously, we know Bielsa trained them hard. We know murder ball happened and all the rest of it. But what was your take on on that and the criticisms that were leveled at yourself and Leeds? When any manager comes in and when anyone there's a we have a discussion of what the the risk parameters look like. And we also look at what they want to achieve. Now, Marcelo's style of play, the players had to be phenomenally fit. You saw our sprint yeah. distances, you saw our high speed. I mean, we're off, we're off the chart. So to gain that, you have to really, really push the players into areas that no other club does and nowhere else goes. But we accepted that as a club. So that was a discussion, you know, Marcelo said, this is our play, this is what I do. And we accepted the risk, the club accepted the risk. So there was never any um, disharmony within the club from the board to the medical department to the science department to Marcelo because we knew how we had to train to achieve how he wanted to play. Now, to work at those thresholds, there's a risk that you get more injuries but we again we accepted that and were able to to push through and what we generally did he also ran with a really small squad he didn't right. want yeah. too many players available so he didn't really have the opportunity to to take people in or out to protect them so what we focused on a lot with Marcelo is okay we did pick up you know a few more injuries but not anything that's that's out of this world again coming back to let's make sure we can get them back quickly and let's make sure that when they come back they're fit to keep going right. and let's make sure that they're ready to go as in our rehab processes you know were of the same level and same intensity as his training so that they could just fit in and 
and go from there. Before Marcelo arrived, we'd done quite a bit of research and looked at what injury patterns he'd had at his previous clubs. And then we then put in a prevention program that was focused most around those areas. So we'd find out that um, when he was in Spain, they'd had a lot of injuries around the pelvis and the hips and um, the abdominals. So we did a lot of work to try and prevent that. it's almost impossible to know if what you did was successful because you never do a control group. You don't say to yeah, after sure. team, look, we're going to do this and you are, just get on with it. Let's see yeah. see how you get on. And also, Marcelo had never been four years anywhere before. That intensity for that period of, of time is is difficult for anybody to sustain. We, we're in a really difficult place in football. We have to peak every three yeah. days or every seven days. Um if you're an athlete, you, you you know you peak for an Olympics every four years, and if you're a uh, a tennis player, you've got four majors that you need to peak for a, a year. So you can actually take people in and out. Every game is three points. Every game is as important as the other. You don't get more points if you beat Man United than you do if you beat someone else. Right. So every game is still of the same importance. And the philosophy under Marcelo was you're as likely to beat Man United as you are to beat whoever was bottom of the table. So we don't treat any game any differently. It's not that we're going to rotate and change things to make sure that they're okay in in the next week. Some of the indicators for does somebody get injured Age and previous injury are two of the the two highest uh, predictors of does someone get injured. So our squad gets older and they've also picked up a few injuries along the line because of the way that we played and, and trained. A lot of those injuries weren't necessarily overuse injuries. So everyone thinks, oh, Marcelo, he, he, you know, we got loads of hamstrings. We didn't really. We got a lot of contact injuries because yeah. we used to go and press the death out of people and we used to go and run into them. Right. and we just got contact, contact, contact. We probably got more fractures. We got more knee injuries. We got more ankle injuries than, than, than anything else. It wasn't the soft tissue injuries that you can, can avoid. Um, and then pretty similar under Jesse as well. You know, Jesse was a, a high press mm-hmm. all in and we picked up again, more contact injuries, um, that, you know, unless you change your style of play and not really avoidable. COVID as well. I mean, that must have been incredibly difficult for you guys to work around. What was that entire process like? We, we look back at it now and you almost you can't remember <laughs> how, how difficult it was. You know, the, the risk we were coming towards the end of that championship season and um, we discussed this a lot that we'd had preparations in from January. But when he actually shut down after that Huddersfield game was a, a real difficult time because we just didn't know how long it was going to last. And we pushed our players individually to extremes. They were the programs they got sent at home. They came back in absolutely flying when we returned in, um, in June, July. You know, I was in the training room. We still had some injured players at, at that time. Um, that we we rehabbed through. So there was me, there was our rehab fitness coach, there was one of our physios who were in the, the training ground every day. And we were allowed to bring these players in on an individual basis and work with them. And I think one of the things there, we'd, we'd actually got to a stage where um, Ben White was injured in that Huddersfield game and probably wouldn't have played the next few games. Um, but we rehabbed him over the COVID and then he came back and played at, at the end. So for him, it came at a really right. <laughs> good time. But then there were all the protocols that went with it and trying to make sure that your team didn't contract 
COVID or if anyone did get it, it didn't spread. That was the the hardest part mm. because we knew with our squad, if we lost two or three players, we were going to be in in real trouble. So Rishi, who's who's our, our club doc as well, you know, spent a lot of time. We were really strict on our our protocols just to make sure that we could get through and and finish the season. And Marcelo was here every day. He was uh, he was knocking about, just making sure that we were making sure the players were training properly and that everything was. You know, they were still sending the weights in every day, every morning when they woke up. We were getting a screenshot of the weights, and <laughs> we just didn't want anything to to slip that was going to derail yeah. that promotion season. Mm-hmm. Well, thankfully, it uh, all went according to plan. Um, we talked about the the fitness of the players during that era. How how do they compare to to now? Because obviously, it seems like Farker likes to play a, a similar high intensity game as as Bielsa. Maybe not quite the the same levels, but they still they look pretty fit this year as well. How do they compare? Yeah, they're good. Look, we. Um... Uh, I think, you know, even the players have said it, their general fitness levels last season dropped off. And right. that wasn't, we were trying to push that from the, the backroom staff. But ultimately, you know, a, a lot of the training comes down to what the coach wants to do in those sessions. Yeah. But we we pushed, but then we decided over the summer, uh, before we knew who was going to be our new manager this year, that we were going to give the lads a programme that meant that whoever was coming back in to take them, they were going to be at a really good level. So we gave the players around 10 days off after the last game, after Tottenham, and then they were sent programmes. And almost like the COVID era, they had to screenshot every day and send in what they were doing. And we did really specific programmes that were almost back to the Elsa days because we know of what levels they were at. So they came back in for pre-season in a really good condition. And Daniel... Um, and his staff only arrived. We only had a five-week pre-season this year, which is a week less than we probably normally yeah. would with the coaching staff. But because we'd done as much of the the background and the prep work before they arrived, they were in a good condition when the coaching staff arrived. And his staff and his fitness coach Chris have been excellent. They, you know, they they know how he wants to play and they know what they need to achieve to allow the players to do that. And we've actually got a real synergy before between the lead staff and Daniel's staff that our principles and our beliefs of what the fitness level should be are at, this, at the same level. So it, it, it's nice to work within that environment. What's it like when a new coach comes in? I mean, do you have to go in the office with like a dossier on every player and, and sort of explain what, they're, what, they're, what they can do, uh, what maybe might be a bit detrimental to their bodies? Have you got to go and lay all that out? Yeah, look, we do a, we, we do a deck before they arrive right. and we send them all the information before they get there that's, you know, what their availability's been, what injuries they've had, what their training load needs to be, we go through all the GPS from every game for the last few years to say, this is what they can achieve. This is what our training weeks have looked like. So they get all that information and then we, before they arrive, and then we firm that up usually on day one, day two, we, you know, chats, but the chats on day one, day two are probably not that much different to the ones we still have now after right. however many weeks that they've been here because communication is probably the, the biggest part or the biggest thing that, you know, achieves with the players. We've got to get, everything 
right behind the scenes to allow the players to achieve on the pitch. And what about new signings? Are you, are you involved with kind of the scouting process to a degree? Like, is there a player that you can go, yeah, I know you like look of him, but he's, he's high risk. His hamstring could go at any moment. Are you involved across yeah, we, that? We certainly do a checkup on all the players before they arrive. Now, um, we're looking to actually improve that even further with some of the stuff that we, we're doing with the new ownership group with some more analytics that's now available to us. But we, we contact the previous club. We get all their GPS records. We do searches. We do social media searches to look at what this player has been like, et cetera. And then we do a pretty comprehensive medical when they arrive. So they spend a couple of hours in the scanner where we, we scan the back, the pelvis, the hips, the knees and their ankles. And we have a look through that. They then spend more time with the, the medical staff who do a, a hands-on assessment of them. We bring all that data together and we try and come up with a risk profile for that player um, to give to the board. And you, you hear of people, you know, as he failed a medical, no one really fails a medical because everybody has a risk when you sign them. Sure. It's just what risk are the club willing to accept? And then we discuss that with, with the board and with the, uh, with the manager and they, they decide, you know, we might say, look, this player's high risk. He's only played 50% of games in the last two years. On his scan, we found this in his knee and this has this percentage chance of getting worse over this amount of time. Are you willing to take that risk? And, you know, that might then go back into negotiations. It might be, you know, the, the contract changes in terms of when they play, but we just give all that information back to try and you know make it a safer process for the club so they don't sign anyone who's uh who's particularly crocked but obviously you look you can do as much as you want and then the next week someone can do their acl or they can yeah. do whatever it, it, accidents and injuries happen but as long as you've excluded anything that is predisposing to that you, you've done your job well um before i let you go how's um jed spence looking Look, Jed um, was really unfortunate. So last week, he, he's gone into a challenging training. His foot slipped from underneath him and he, he's ruptured his lateral ligament of his, his knee. Now these, again, I've just been talking and say, you know, 90% of them do this. 90%, 90% of these heal pretty well within eight weeks. Um, and we do some injections to try and promote the healing in that area and we protect it. And then his rehab is based on that. So at the minute... Is, is a week into this um, and we're just progressing really, really slowly. But it's a it's a freak accident. Like it could have happened to anyone. He, his foot slips and it's, it slips as he's in a challenge. Someone falls on his leg Eesh. and pushes him into a level where the, the ligament can't, um, can't tolerate it. Yeah. So it snaps. But what I would say about him, as with all the players already, his, his attitude to to doing what's right and to to making sure that he's going to be okay has been been first class. So we'll build him up over the next few weeks. And, you know, we hope that he lies in that 90% who get better within the eight weeks. If it doesn't, you know, there's things we can do beyond that, but there's certainly nothing extra you'd do at this stage um, when he's, you know, he's got the good chance of, of being back in with us sometime in what will that be in November excellent well we look forward to it very much um, I'll give you one last opportunity to not drop anyone in it because that's not what we're doing on the official Legion United podcast but you can give someone props who is the absolute best of the bleep test who's at the very top oh no I'd, um, I'd, I'd, to be honest I can't remember who even came top this year I mean you can tell us the worst I'll if you, you want <laughs> no do you know do you know who's surprisingly good at the bleep test is Liam Cooper I've heard um, this actually he has an ability to to change direction but um 
he does that really well and and that gives him a great advantage the ones who are a little bit sloppy on the turn struggle Interesting. um so yeah he's the one who you would uh be surprised if he was at the top but he's always he's always up there but if i give you one name all the other players will complain they will say it's them they will so i'm not going to give myself that problem tomorrow morning <laughs> we'll just we'll just go with captain coops can change direction quickly that'll do <laughs> well we appreciate this so much rob that was uh really really insightful um that was fascinating i think people are going to really really love that um thank you so much for your time i know it's late so i'll let you go and um best no of luck with everything thanks matt well that was fantastic um really appreciate rob taking the time to come on and, and talk to us today there's so much more that goes into it than, than i had any idea and it all sounds pretty rosy we are, we are getting back to a full strength squad and we're going to have lots of options and depth going forward uh enjoy your week guys i'll speak to you next week <laughs>